where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Good morning. Today's scripture comes to you from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, the triumphal entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, I shall do what you say. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them. And Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. One of the gifts of reading scripture each year, a similar passage each year, is that the scripture doesn't really change, but the way we look at it sure does. Based on current events, this scripture sounds very different to me this year especially the last couple sentences where it says that the city was in turmoil. Literally, the word for turmoil is shaken from the word seismic. This moment in the life of scripture was of cosmic importance. And if safety and security were the priority, Jesus should have stayed home. But he didn't. He stepped out. He lived his commitment, determined the, to follow the path that consistently led him to the intersection of two worlds. And this intersection played out in an unprecedented way when he entered Jerusalem, this day that we call Palm Sunday. A day where, like no other, the intersection of determination and vulnerability were present in the person of Jesus and in those who were with him. Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan 
are two biblical scholars who wrote a book called The Last Week. I'm confident several of you have heard of this and have read it, but it's worth repeating that Borg and Crossan talk about two processions that happened that day, one from the west and one from the east. And the one from the west was led by the Roman governor on a war horse with foot soldiers, with all the power of the empire in full display. It was a procession of domination and control. And the purpose of that procession was to keep order. In a city where the population was typically about 40,000, estimates say that it could rise up to in excess of 200,000 for celebrations like this one, the celebration of Passover. There was also another procession, procession of the East, the one that we hear in our story today. It was the procession of Jesus on a donkey with peasants. It was the nonviolent power of God procession where not domination and control, but liberation and wholeness were of utmost importance. And that's what was on display that day. The scholars go on to say that they even think that this might have been an intentional counter demonstration. Save us, help us, we pray, they said, to this one who was riding a donkey. I grew up in a very small town. My high school class had 100 people in it. There was no middle school. Elementary school was through grade eight. And the town high school was for two, two towns, actually. So it took two towns to get to 100 for a class. That's small. It was a square mile. There was one street light. Just to give you a sense, it's sort of like what it's like to be walking through Longmont right now. Not a lot of cars, not a lot of traffic, not a lot of people. And so this little no-name town was about eight miles from the George Washington Bridge. And I don't know how this happened, but we were invited the marching band to play in the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City. It was like, how did, that how did that happen? We were horrible. And we knew it. But we were invited to play in this procession. And so we went and, and we were nervous and we got on the school bus and we all had our sandwiches with us. And it was that mix of freezing like it is on St. Patrick's Day typically, but if you were in the sun, it was a little bit warmer and we had on our full regalia and we got into New York City and it was packed. But we were on this little side street, which is where you queue up for the parade. And we waited and we waited and we waited some more. Not only were our sandwiches gone, but now we were hungry again for the next meal. And we heard remnants of parades around us because they were on the other street. 
And so finally the word came, hey, we're almost up. And you know how that goes if you've been in a parade. I mean, you know, you know parades, Memorial Day parades, you're either in them or you're watching them in towns of that size. It's not that much different here. And so it was our turn to march. And so typically in a marching band, the first people to make any noise is the percussion section. And our percussion section had a really cool cadence. And if we couldn't play any other note, we had this going for us. And it started with a cowbell. It went. And then it proceeded through all the different drums. But it was a really cool, catchy beat. And so, you know, we started our marching and the drummers are going. And we walk down the street. You know, this is our big moment. Here we go. We're marching down the street. We're all in line. And it's time to turn the corner onto the parade route. And so the drummers keep going. We get onto the parade route and there is nobody there. Nobody. Nobody. There's remnants that there had been quite a few people. And as we kept marching, we see these bandstand, you know, these stands that are set up, you know, where the dignitaries are. Gone. People are already starting to take them apart, but we're marching. And then all of a sudden, something really strange happened. People started coming to the sides of the roads. Now, it wasn't the dignitaries, it wasn't people who had been in the parade. From my high school eyes, it looked like people who had had a lot of green beverages. Maybe it was Mountain Dew, maybe it was some kind of homemade brew. But while we were trying to avoid what had been left on the ground by the horses that preceded us, we saw these people coming to the curb. And every time we did, they started dancing. It was the coolest thing. And it was bizarre, but it was true. People were responding to this cadence and this different sound. See, this is the sound that I equate with the procession that came from, as the scholars say, from the east. But I don't think it came from the east. I think it came from right behind. It struck a different chord. It attracted a different kind of people. It's the people that are more than six feet away that suddenly come close because they hear something a little different. The other procession has its sounds, very different sounds. I've been in parades like that, but we'll talk about that another day. But that other procession, you just have to keep the beat. I could see why that would send some people into hiding. And I could see why this would bring people out after the other procession had cleared away. 
One of the central questions of this day and of our scripture is who is this guy? Who is this guy that's playing the cowbell? Who is this guy that's offering a different cadence? That hits a different note in the ear and the heart. Who's the one that's sending out that message that life can be different? That life, how it has been ordered, is actually disordered. Some people are seeing the coronavirus as a seismic reset button. I think that makes sense. I think a lot of us are starting to ask the question of, what am I doing and why and how? Now, please don't hear in this that I think that God created this virus so that we would be thinking these things. But I do believe that in each of life events, there is an invitation to examine how we are living why we are living, and what, are we are, and what we are doing with the gift of life that we have been given. I know in scripture there are other seismic reset stories, and the character of God is said to be responsible for them. The flood comes to mind, the cosmic do-over. But again, I want to caution you against confusing the character of God with the reality of God and God's being. What this pandemic is teaching us, not just to be self-conscious every time our fingers go near our face like I just did, but that we have the ability to quickly change and order the priorities of life. You might have thought up to this point that it would have been impossible to do some of the things that have happened. Consider the seismic shift in industry that we've noticed. Airlines, travel industry, closed stores, mass releases in detention centers that are no longer looking at their census numbers, but starting to rethink who really needs to be here and who doesn't. Public education, Buildings closed. Online learning is possible. And guess what? People who don't have electronics are being given them. Food still available to families and students who rely on that public space for nutrition. Sports suspended. Did you ever think that was possible? Manufacturers retooling their machines to produce a different product, a product of great value and need. Working from home. Not everybody is working less now. People are working differently. Some people are not working. And safety nets have been constructed so that people don't fall through the cracks as easily. Consider the environmental shifts, blue skies in Asia, 
with reduced factories and reduced travel, we really can do anything. It's just a matter of which procession we're following. Perhaps you've seen, and if not seen, maybe smelled that there, this is the time of year when farmers are using controlled burns to get rid of what's no longer of value and to encourage new growth for this new season. The procession that came out of the West with the power of the empire uses controlled burns to intimidate people and to keep them away. It's not there to encourage new growth. It's there to scare you. But the procession that comes out of the East, the one of liberation and wholeness, or the one that follows the main parade, is a controlled burn that really does remove what's not needed and make room for something new. So churches, restaurants, retail, schools, hospitals, parks and rec, local government, what's the new thing we're gonna create? How will our care for the most vulnerable continue beyond the fear of contracting a virus? From the beginning of time, there's been another virus at work that has alienated us one from the other. Even people in close proximity. I'm not a fan of war language and I will not use it. But I wanna remind us that there is something antithetical to life always in our midst. And our job is not to control it and overpower it. Our job is to focus on what is life-giving and what unites us. Once again, I think we're at a crossroads. And I pray that God will help us to choose the path with a liberating cadence. I pray that God will help us to trust in the power of presence and the responsibilities of interdependence. I pray that God will help us to live with courage and creativity, that when death does come, we will have lived well and fully. Change the fork and to that end, I pray that God will help us to follow in the ways of life. That we may find nourishment at all the tables where God's faithful presence is known. <laughs>